0: like you guys haven't seen each other for a week or something man it's pretty cool I love the love in this room you know you're in trouble when the projector person flashes the lights you've exceeded the limit right that's it's like oh that's mom's warning after that they take the cookies away I'm just kidding. We'd never take your cookies away. We know there'd be a small riot if you left church and there were no cookies. Be so disappointed. Hey, so we are beginning our Advent series, uh, which this year is called Why the Nativity? And uh, you might have noticed in your bulletin that there's going to be an event coming up on December 17th where we invite you to come watch uh, a movie called Why the Nativity that's produced by, uh, I think, Turning Point Ministries, if I'm not mistaken and uh, and we'd love to have you there Uh, also i don't know if you've noticed but this month there are two outreach events so ladies your first outreach event is coming up next saturday you've probably noticed that in your bulletin is a flyer and maybe even two flyers if not there's extra flyers at the welcome center and that's designed for you to be able to invite a friend So sometimes when you invite a friend to something, they're really interested and they're like, oh, that sounds nice. And then uh, everybody's excited and you even share the details, but then everybody forgets the details. The cool thing is this puts the details in their hands so that they know. And so then when you call like Thursday or Friday to confirm that you're picking them up and that you're gonna go to the coffee shop on the way, whatever you ladies are gonna do, then they're not confused. They knew that it was coming. And so you can use that to invite a friend And you can also, if you're like me, you can put that in an important place so that you won't forget because someone else in your house will remind you that you put it there and that you're going to that, right? So some of of you need that level of reminder too. So uh, that's there for you. And then we're going to do the same thing for the whole church uh, with this Why the Nativity movie. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but statistically around Christmas, people are more spiritually open to the message of Jesus. Uh, There's something inside where we all know that this holiday is about something. And even though sometimes we forget and make it about, you know, the festivities and the feasting and the gift giving and the lights and all the magic of Christmas, we know inside that ultimately at its core, Christmas is about God's giving the son to us and his gift of everlasting life. And so as a result, we want to capitalize on the openness of this season and to create opportunities for those who don't know Jesus to maybe come in and encounter him in a different way so maybe you have a family member or a friend or a neighbor uh, or maybe it's just you and you're curious about jesus Um, please make a plan to come on the 17th as we show this in the afternoon it's a very well done um, documentary if you will it it's kind of a mix between documentary and and film Uh, and so it's just an enjoyable uh, thing to watch Uh, i was a little skeptical so i decided to sit down with my kids and watch it and man it had their rapt attention like, I was like, okay, let's be done. They're like, no, 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 let's watch some more. And I was like, is this because you never get to watch TV? Because we don't watch a lot of TV in our house. They're like, no, this is really good. Like, they didn't watch something else. They were really excited about it. Then we watched it again with our family over Thanksgiving, and they were all stoked about it. So I was like, okay, it's actually, it's decent, you know? Because sometimes pastors, we get excited about Christian things, and everybody else is like, I'm so glad that you like that, pastor. But that was not actually very good, right? But this is, this is actually good. So uh, I'm excited about that. So we're starting Uh, This week, our preparation for Christmas, and we're starting this new sermon series called Why the Nativity, which will lead up to the uh, documentary Why the Nativity and conclude on Christmas Eve uh, with the biggest reason for the nativity. So today, as we talk about why the nativity, we talk about why did Jesus become a man? Why did Jesus become a man? Uh, it's a very significant fact. If, if you were unaware, uh, God is uh, one God, but it says in the Bible that he's three persons. He's the Father, and he's the Son, and he's the Holy Spirit. So they're all unified together, but they're distinct from one another. And so the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not any of them. And the Son existed before everything else with the Father and the Spirit. And when he came to earth, he left heaven and became a man on earth, which is pretty wild and crazy and even even sounds mythical i remember before i believed in jesus i read greek myths and there were these stories about zeus and these other gods who came down and they became men mostly because of the ladies and uh and as a result there were these demigods and so when i heard about god becoming a man as jesus i was like all that myth stuff is funny The wild thing, though, is that those things are actually a distraction of the true story of God, who did leave heaven and came to earth as a man. And so today we're going to talk about why God purposed for that from the foundation of the world, since he started everything for Jesus to become a man. Uh, Before we get into the meat of those reasons, though, let's just take a moment and ask the Lord to bless our time of learning. Uh, Father, we dedicate and devote our hearts and minds to you in this time father you sent jesus to this earth uh, to do so many things and lord there's a lot of layers or there's a lot of effectiveness in jesus life and ministry on this earth and we pray god that you would help us to understand that more and more Uh, paul calls christ's revelation to us a mysterious a hidden eternal thing of old that is made real to us now and father we could spend the rest of our lives devoting every moment to seeking to understand jesus more and his mission on earth and and we'd understand it but we wouldn't grasp all of it so we pray god that even now you would take these great things these eternal things you would help us to understand them you would help us to love you more help us to be able to explain you to people around us more and father we pray that you would help us to walk with you in this season undistracted we pray these things in jesus name amen so the uh, i'm a I'm big big idea guy i have spent a lot of time in the seats listening to sermons And one of the things I've discovered as I learn is that often uh, there's a thing going on in the message and then there's a thing going on in my mind. Now, 90% of the time, the thing going on in my mind is usually about the sermon. 10% of the time, we won't go there because we can't. We don't understand it. It's when the squirrels come in and our minds are in other things. And then the pastor says something and it brings us back in. And so as a result, I'm a huge fan of the big idea at the front end of the sermon. Because when the squirrels attack I want you to remember what it's all about anyways, okay? So our big idea today is that Jesus became a man to demonstrate that you can believe him. Jesus became a man to demonstrate that you can believe him. Throughout history, there have been these big questions about the divine because we don't always see the divine. We see the results of God on earth, but that's not the same as seeing God. And so there have been these questions in humanity. What is the divine? Who is the divine? Can we really know the divine? I remember as a teenager, I spent about 18 months claiming to be an agnostic. It seemed cool at the time. The X-Files were out there. And it was like, can we really know the truth? Can we? Yes, there's obviously a divine thing, but, but can we know, really know God? And I was like, I don't think you can, because you can't prove God to me and what he is like. And the crazy thing is that Jesus left heaven to prove what God is like to us. To prove that you can trust God in the way that he expresses himself in his written word, the Bible. That you can trust Jesus is who he claimed to be. In other words, Jesus stepped out of heaven so that you can put your faith in him. So you can really believe him and know that he is God. That he is the one who came to save you. That he is the one who can give you everlasting life. And he wants to have a relationship with you you can trust him in that and and we call it walking through life with him but it's like jesus is not just your savior but he's your counselor and your coach and and your friend and your leader and your your god all all at once and so jesus wants you to know that as he walked the earth so we're gonna stretch from that into some other areas uh demonstrating that you can believe in him and what you can believe about him Uh, first jesus became a man to demonstrate god's compassion and sympathy jesus became a man to demonstrate god's compassion and sympathy so one of the mysteries of divinity if you will is wondering what god is like in his character now going back to greek mythology what is zeus like zeus has lightning bolts and why does that matter because if you make zeus mad what is he going to do he's going to zap you right like don't make zeus mad he will squash you Remember growing up watching Monty Python? Any Monty Python fans? The impression of God in Monty Python is a giant foot that has wrath on evil people, right? So people are doing the wrong thing, and then this big foot comes down and squishes them because they deserve wrath, right? And so there's this sense that God is angry, that we made a mistake, and that we need to look out for God. And psychologically, this kind of resonates with us because it says in the Bible that God is our Father. And unfortunately, many of us experienced the wrath of dad. Not the wrath of Khan. If you grew up in the 70s, you probably experienced that. But we're talking about the wrath of dad, right? Like, you remember your mom saying something like, when your father gets home, you are gonna get it. And so we carry that over into our relationship or understanding of God the father. And so essentially, we have this inner voice inside that says, when God the father gets home, you are gonna get it. And so Jesus, as he steps out of heaven, demonstrates that God does not carry a pervasive or overwhelming wrath towards humans on earth. Instead, he has a great deal of compassion and sympathy. So compassion is, I recognize your suffering and I care for you. But sympathy is actually saying, I suffer with you. Your suffering is is my suffering. Uh, was it a, a Ben Gay commercial in the 80s? that I feel your pain. And you know, they're like talking about back pain. So if, if you have back pain and you have a friend who has back pain and they're describing it to you, you're like, I, I know your pain. I'm suffering with you. But before you have back pain, you can have compassion. It's okay. You're getting older. You don't have to lift this with me, right? You've probably heard that before, right? But then if you, you get that hurt back thing, you're like, I know. I know. I want you to take it easy because I've been right where you are before. So if you think about Jesus stepping out of heaven, he can literally now say, I've been right there where you are. I've been right in the midst of human existence. I've experienced what you are experiencing. I have suffered with you and I love you. And I love you. And I want you to be better. I want you to be made more whole. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus literally has had every same experience that you have. Jesus didn't get fired by his boss randomly one Tuesday. He wasn't in the carpenter shop, and you know things were tight. And so his boss walked in and said, uh, "Jesus, I, I know you're the Messiah. I know you're kind of a big deal around here, but we just can't keep you on anymore. I know Hanukkah's coming up, and it's just a hard time for us. And so I'm re- I'm really sorry. I've got a severance for you. Um, you know, it's it'll last you about three days. Nothing like that, right? So, but at the same time, he went through all of human existence, and beyond that, it says that he took our suffering on himself in the cross. He took all of sin, all of separation from God on himself on the cross, and so all of your worst suffering, Jesus drew into him because he wanted to eventually end your suffering, end your pain, and not in the way you take the dog to the vet, you know, but like actually end your genuine suffering and bring you to a place of life, not a place of death. I love that the Gospel of Mark is a gospel of action. Anybody read the Gospel of Mark before? It's a great place to start if you don't know Jesus, but Mark just kicks off right away. He gets right to it. So in Mark chapter one, we see Jesus teaching and healing and casting out demons and having the ministry of the Messiah on the earth. It's really powerful, incredibly cool. Uh, Mark is also short about it though. He doesn't spend a lot of time covering these things. So in Mark 40, it says that after Jesus was teaching, a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him if you are willing you can make me clean you could just picture this jesus is clearly demonstrating that he has authority and power from god and somebody hears about this and this person has leprosy if you don't know what leprosy is leprosy is a bacterial infection It causes your uh, nerves to start dying in your extremities first and then closer in. The result of this is that you have things happen to you and you don't know to take care of it, and so you get secondary infections, and those are what actually cause your death. But as you go, you start to lose tips of fingers, then whole fingers, then hands, noses, toes. It's really gnarly. And before great medical care like we have now, these people would have just been bandaged up and they had to be separate from everybody else. It was worse than COVID, right? Because people would be you know, like, ah, you have leprosy, don't give it to us. Uh, and there was a great deal of fear, and they might even murder you to keep you away from this. So there's a great fear of leprosy. So this man with leprosy comes to Jesus and on his knees begs him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then the text says this, moved with compassion, moved with compassion jesus does what he reaches out and he touches him and he says i am willing be made clean now if you're familiar with this story you already know what i'm going to point out here jesus didn't have to touch this leprous person jesus didn't have to reach out there's so many stories in the bible where somebody says jesus you don't have to come to my house you could you could just heal my servant you could just heal my child and jesus says this is great faith But Jesus intentionally wants to reach out and make contact with this sick human being. Not just to say, I'm willing to make you clean, but I'm willing to receive you. I'm willing to care for you. I'm willing to be in your life. This would have been a risk for Jesus, right? Because leprosy is contagious. Jesus isn't worried about the contagion. He knows that he's not gonna catch leprosy because he's the son and he's gonna go to the cross. He's not gonna die of leprosy. He's not concerned about these things. He's more concerned how can i embrace this person and their suffering how can i lift them up so they know that they're loved if you were a leper and you were jewish you were not allowed to be with your family you were not allowed to visit your friends they would come and they would give you care packages by the cave that you lived at maybe some new clothes maybe a meal. You were imprisoned in your sickness. You couldn't come to temple and worship. You couldn't offer sacrifices. You couldn't participate in the high holy holidays. You were cut off from God and everybody that you know. And now Jesus left heaven and he entered into this one person's life so that they would know the compassion and sympathy of God. Isn't that incredible? You need to understand that Jesus left heaven to enter your life in these same ways, in these same places. The places that you feel are untouchable. The places that you feel unclean and unapproachable. Jesus left heaven so that you would know that he's willing to enter your life in those places and bring wholeness and healing to you. As a a human, I can struggle with depression. Depression is an ugly monster if you've ever dealt with it eventually become isolated and alone you become ashamed of these difficult feelings as a believer in jesus sometimes you feel like why am i sad god left heaven for me i should be filled with joy i should be filled with rejoicing and then some christians have this messaging where they say depression is a sin and you have no power over this you can't choose depression and you can't choose undepression right you don't just wake up one day and be like i am gonna kick depressions butt today i'm never gonna be sad again it doesn't work that way it maybe it works until you like look in the mirror that morning it's never worked for me very well right it's been very challenging to deal with this and for me to know as a believer that even when i'm in my darkest moments of depression that i face sometimes that jesus is still willing to enter my life i might feel like a wreck but jesus isn't willing to walk away from me and he's not willing to walk away from you either and so you have this powerful testimony of jesus compassion and sympathy from the places you are in it says immediately the leprosy left him and the man was made clean wow isn't that awesome so it's this compassion and sympathy but it's compassion and sympathy with the power to bring healing the power to bring wholeness it's important for us to recognize that it's not just care but it's powerful care in hebrews 4 15 it says this we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin therefore let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need god doesn't need i don't know if you know that god doesn't need he's complete he's whole in himself this is part of being holy but we find ourselves or at least i find myself genuinely in constant need When I am really aware of my weakness, which is often, I find myself often calling on the Lord. Lord, will you help me as a dad right now to have wisdom? Lord, will you help me as a father right now to have wisdom towards my kids? How about, Father, with my wife? How can I love my wife like Christ loved the church? Father, I'm responsible to lead this whole group of people spiritually, and I don't understand their hearts the way that you do. I need insight and wisdom on how to love them and how to lead them and how to teach them and how to listen to them and how to make your love alive in them, God, because I'm imperfect. How can I represent you Lord, even when I'm alone, I'm not even good to myself. Sometimes I I beat myself up for my mistakes and sometimes I go into my past just to find old mistakes I can beat myself up over. And so, Lord, I I need your help, Lord, because I'm just so weak and so small. And so, Lord, will you give me the grace that I need for this moment? And what's amazing is that God is never like, I gave it to you yesterday. Did you lose it? Did I not give you enough grace before that you just ran out? I gave you all of the blessings of heaven, Chris. Where did you put them, right? What happened to them? No, he's willing and able to give me grace again in every moment of need. And he's willing to do that for you because he has compassion, because he has sympathy. Isn't that so wonderful? Have you ever had to go to someone for help who doesn't have compassion or sympathy? Have you ever had somebody lord it over you that you need their help and you're just so unable and it's a, a good thing that they're around to rescue you because you can't handle it it's not that way with god he loves you he has compassion and sympathy jesus wasn't concerned about making himself a big deal in the life of the leper he was concerned with that person knowing jesus love knowing the goodness of God, being restored, not just in his body, but in his spirit and in his soul in the way that Jesus interacted with him. And he's concerned about the same thing with you. He's humble in his giving of grace. He's full of compassion and love. But it's not just compassion and love that Jesus came to show us. He came to demonstrate all of the Father's character to us, Jesus came to demonstrate the Father's character perfectly to us. In Colossians, it says that Jesus is the exact radiance of God's being, the perfect representative of his nature. Jesus is the mirror of the Father to us. In Hebrews 1, it says that in these last days, the late days that we live now, Jesus has spoken to us through the Son. And the message of Jesus' life and the character of Jesus' life is what God wants us to know about himself. Look at what Jesus' interaction looked like regarding this subject with his disciples. In John 14, 8, Philip, who is one of the disciples, approaches Jesus, and he says, Lord, show us the Father. That's enough for us. So jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples in john 14. he knows he's heading to the cross and he's telling his disciples that he's going to leave and he's telling them that he's going to go to a place that they will also go to but they can't go there unless if he goes there that's a little bit confusing for us it was very confusing for them and so philip is like jesus it's okay you can go away as long as you show us the father if you show us the father jesus that will be enough for us then your mission is accomplished and so then jesus says this to him i have been among you all this time i spent three years with you philip and you do not yet know me the one who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father jesus is saying philip I can't show you any more of the Father than I've already shown you. You've been walking with me through li- with life in life for three years. You've seen everything that I've done. You've heard everything that I've taught. You've known my compassion, my grace, my humility, my strength, my truthfulness, my dependency, my consistency, the agape that I've poured out on you, the invitation to be part of what I'm doing. You know everything about the Father, Philip. Don't you yet see that that's what's going on? Jesus came to show us who God is exactly. You know, last Easter, we, or last Lent, which is the approach to Easter, we did a, a journal as a church about knowing Jesus more. And over those 40 days, some of us entered into a place where we thought meditatively about the stories of scripture. And we tried to break out of the way we typically perceive God because of our preconceived notions. Everybody has preconceived notions about who God is. That means that all of us, when we're reading the gospels, we're reading the gospels with a certain tone We're reading the gospels with the stories in a certain way in our head jesus is one way uh, recently this this series the chosen has come out anybody enjoying the chosen and and the thing about the chosen that i hear is oh my goodness that's exactly what i thought jesus would be like or I never thought of that story in that way. I never pictured Jesus asking that, acting that way in this story. And it's helping me see that Jesus might be a little bit different than I normally perceive him. And I, I just, with respect and care, often we project negativity on the Father. Often we take what's in our heart and we put that on the Lord and we decide that his character is a certain way. And it's hard for us to break those Preconceived notions down. This is why Philip is struggling. Just show us. And Jesus is like, I have been him the whole time. And so we need to ask that God would reveal to us his truth character through Jesus. I think that this is why Christians are so drawn to the four gospels about Jesus. Because as we read these stories, we start to see Jesus in new ways. As we recognize what he does, as we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, we see tenderness. We see compassion we see concern we see strength and it starts to peel away the false views that we have the false beliefs that we have about the father so that we can encounter him in reality maybe you've been there before i know that even as a pastor sometimes i read a gospel story and it's like mind-blowing what i see for the first time during that season where we were looking at new ways to see jesus one of the stories was a story about jesus healing a person who was um i think mute and deaf if i'm remembering correctly and and or had to be had to be blind and mute something like that and and it says that jesus touched their eyes and their tongue and their ears to heal maybe they were deaf dumb and blind they couldn't see hear or talk And it says that jesus touched them and and when it says that i always thought as a kid how did he do that was it the headlock you know was he wrestling the sickness it was just weird and then and then i realized that it was just jesus walking up and he was just touching the head with compassion cradling that person like a father would a young child and speaking healing and life and praying for that healing and life and that person was healed and i realized that in that moment Jesus was much more tender than I ever thought that he was. I always knew that Jesus had compassion. I always knew that Jesus had sympathy. But I didn't credit him with the tenderness that a loving father has towards his kids. And in that moment, it was like, oh my word, God is so tender with us. He's so caring and gentle with us. He doesn't want to cause harm as he heals. He wants to bring about strength and blessing as he heals. And so Jesus tells Philip, I've been here the whole time. I've been showing you who the Father is the whole time. This is why just before this, Jesus says to all of his disciples and to us, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is in that. He's giving you the way to have everlasting life. He says, if you believe in me, I'm the one who will reconcile you to the Father. I'm the one who will give you everlasting life. But he's also, it's a little bit of a double entendre because he also means unless if you see me, you don't see the Father. Unless if you understand me, you don't understand the Father, because I'm the only path to knowing God. Every other path will leave you lost, will leave you without the truth, will leave you, leave you without the right information. He is the only road to get there. Anybody use Google Maps? So in the beginning of Google Maps, at the beginning of Google, Google didn't take itself so seriously. And so you could Google how to get from New York to Paris. And it would say, what you're going to do, and it would give you directions from some place in New York to some wharf somewhere. And it would say, get on Pier 3, walk to the end, jump in the water, and swim 2,312 miles to Pier 2 at whatever place in France, right? And it was like, good luck getting there that way, right? Because you and I, we can swim. I can hardly swim 200 meters without needing a break. And, and I'm not going to swim 2,000 miles. But Jesus, Jesus is the genuine way to know the Father. He is the only way to know the Father. And so he demonstrated the Father's character to us perfectly. Next, this is, this is a big deal. Most of us know this is coming, but Jesus came to save us from sin. Jesus became a man to save us from sin. This is vitally important to know. You know, as, as we talk about Jesus becoming man, every time we hear that, I want us to think that Jesus left the place in heaven that he was Jesus left the throne a place of worship where he is surrounded by angelic beings that he created to be special and unique and all the time those angelic beings praise him and worship him do you like it when people say encouraging things about you do you like it when you're a place that everything is designed for you and you're comfortable and you're perfectly known and you're perfectly loved and what you want to happen happens all the time that sounds really nice, right? Like some of you are like, how can I have this happen in my life, please? That sounds really enjoyable. Well, that was the existence of Jesus before he left heaven to come to earth. And so when we say Jesus became a man, it means that he left that and he came to earth as a baby, uniquely begotten, God's only begotten son, the only, one of a kind, the real McCoy. And he came to do these things. And the biggest thing that he accomplished in his existence to allow everything else to work that he was making happen was to save us from sin now if you're a believer you've been in church for a while you're familiar with this word sin you probably know that you don't want sin that sin is bad that other people have more sin than you we're all convinced of that all the time right so so now that we got those things out of the way let's actually talk about the reality of sin sin is what happens that god does not desire in our lives And sin is a state of spiritual separation from God. So it's stuff that we do, but before that, it's a condition of our existence. And it's a place that we're stuck. We're stuck in sin before the work of Jesus in our life because we're disconnected from the Father. We can't help but sin because sin is automatic when you're disconnected from the Father. It's like your dog. You leave a pizza on the coffee table in your living room. And while you're there, that dog's not going to eat the pizza, right? But that dog gets disconnected from you you leave the room for too long where's that pizza going to be when you get back not on the coffee table anymore right because disconnected from you your dog is going to do the wrong thing same way for us disconnected from god we're going to do the wrong thing i'm not trying to shame us it's just the nature of spiritual reality we've all experienced that before and that's the heart of sin and this is what jesus came to save us from paul who comes to jesus later after jesus died and raised from the dead and ascended into heaven he says this this is a trustworthy and uh trustworthy statement this is trust this blah, blah, blah. we're going to rewind i've got about three versions of this verse in my head and none of them match the page this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance christ jesus came into the world to save sinners and i am the worst of them Or your translation might say, I am the chief. And it's this forked definition, right? So he's the worst. Paul recognizes my sin was terrible and I might be the worst sinner. But he's also saying, and I was a leader of sinners. I was a Pharisee and I was persecuting Christians and I would even murder them for their faith. I was a terrible sinner and I was a leader of other people into sin. So I should have been rejected by God. But he came to save me from my sin. God sent Jesus to the world to save sinners like you and I from our sin. And that's good news because without his salvation, we'd be stuck in that place where we're permanently disconnected from the Father. In Hebrews 7.25, it says this, therefore, Jesus is also to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So this isn't saying that Jesus saves us from sin just once. It means our whole life through Jesus is committed to saving us from those times when we're living outside of God's desire for our life. Those times when we're living disconnected from God. And you know what? That happens all the time. Remember when we said that Jesus has compassion and sympathy? He knows you, and he knows your life, and he knows how you're going to respond to your life. He knows your weakness. Did you know that the area in your brain physically that connects to God, you probably don't know this, but it's in your, your prefrontal cortex. So scientists, they're really brilliant, right? And they, they have all of these wild questions. And some scientists one day was like, I wonder what part of the brain is most alive when people of faith are praying. And so then what they did is they put an advertisement out and they said, if you pray, if you have faith and you pray, we want you to come in and we want to take photographs of your brain while you're praying. This sounds really exciting, right? If you're a nerd, you're like, tell me more, right? And so they did this, and the area that's alive and praying is right here at the front of your brain, kind of in the middle. It's kind of weird because it makes all that weird third eye stuff that some religions get into. It's like, oh, actually, there's no eye there. That's your brain, and that's really what connects to the Lord, okay? So God put in every brain the ability to connect with him. But also, when you get really upset, do you know what happens to you? This part of your brain turns off. Blood stops flowing to it, it doesn't receive enough juice to go, and it shuts down. That means that the moment that you need God the most, unless if you've taught yourself to have peace, like the peace of Christ resting on you and being rooted and firmly ra- grounded in Christ, unless if you've trained yourself to do that, this area of your brain that responds to God, this area of your brain that is connected to God, it shuts down, Which means at that point in time, what are you going to do? You're going to go your own way. You're gonna do things on your own, you're gonna rely on yourself or Google or Oprah or Budweiser or something to save you that can't really save you, and so that's the way you're gonna go. But Jesus is like, I know you're gonna do that, but I'm gonna pray for you and I'm gonna walk with you and I'm gonna keep on working on saving you until you're in my presence and saved from the presence and the power and the penalty of sin forever. He is committed to continue to saving you from your sin, which means in those moments when you're walking away from the Lord, and some of us do that for just a little bit, right? We got a little mental short there. And we come back, Jesus says, I'm glad you're back. I've been praying for you. I've been waiting for you to remember to calm down and seek after me, to not rely on your own understanding. He's waiting for that moment. And some of us, we take the longer route, and we step away from the Lord and something bad happens, and we say, Peace out, God. If this is what it's going to be, I'm going to find another way. Hey, Andy, I've got a problem. Yeah? Uh, my neighbor's terrible. She is the worst. She lets her dog poop all over my lawn. I hate it. I hate her. She's a terrible woman. Did you see my Facebook post about her? I did. It's crazy. She has a mustache that's bigger than my father's. Did you know that? She has a heart that's smaller than the Grinch's heart. Can you believe that? But the size of her dogs, well, see you later. Honey. I gotta tell you about our neighbor again right and we just go our own way for a long time and we go on these other paths that are not good for us and we become so committed to them and sometime sometime the holy spirit intervenes because we go to church or or a friend's been praying for us or we hear a song on the radio or it's christmas time and all of a sudden we remember god and the lights go on again and that part of our brain that god made to connect with him it turns on again and we return to the lord and jesus says those were sure some strange stories you told the Andy a while ago, man. And you're like, I know, by the way, I, I don't have a neighbor with a big mustache or, or a dog that poops on my lawn because I don't actually have a lawn. So none of that was true, okay? <laughs> Nothing was true in, in what I just talked about, right? I, I'm just giving it as a demonstration that often when that part of our brain turns off, we can walk away and we walk in ways that are away from God and we don't even remember him, but, but he never forgets us. And he continues to care for us. And it literally says that Jesus is praying for you. His faith is there when your faith is not to work in you. And he's able to save you to the utmost. So from the worst of your sin to the best place you could ever be, he's committed to your salvation. He's committed to seeing it through. He's committed to seeing you made whole because Jesus made a whole life commitment to you. He gave his life for yours, and he's not going to give up on you. And Jesus did this so that he could secure our everlasting life. Jesus did this. He took on our sin to secure our everlasting life. It says in John three sixteen and 17, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life for god did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him but to save the world through him Now the key phrase for you here is this everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life one of the key questions of the christmas season is have you put your faith in christ do you have everlasting life and if you do Christmas is one of the best seasons because you realize that the, the meal and the presents under the tree and the, the time with family, it's just, it's just the icing on the cake. It's just the whipped cream on the Sunday. It's, it's not really the heart of it because the heart of it is this inescapably awesome gift that you've received that has altered your life forever. But if you don't know that yet, I, w- I would invite you today to think about this. Jesus, God himself, left heaven to come to give you everlasting life if you put your faith in him isn't that wild all you have to do is put your faith in him i remember before i put my faith in jesus i thought i had to earn my way to heaven i had to do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds and i thought that i had it made i was like i'm i'm a pretty good person i I do i'm like an eagle scout and i i I clean up on the side of the road even though i don't believe in god i go sing in the church choir i don't know what that was all about because religion was important or something i did all of these good things and then one day the Lord was like. Chris, so when you're cleaning up on the side of the road, the weekend that you lied your parents to, to your parents the week before about what you were going to do, did that undo the lie? Like, did that make lying better? Did, did it make drinking and he, keeping that a secret better? Did, did, did it make all of the lust in your heart better? Because I, I don't, I don't think it answered that problem. I was like, it doesn't. I can't unlie, even if I tell the truth, it's still a lie. Oh no, I can't undo my sin. What am I going to do? And then somebody was like, you believe in Jesus. That's it? You just have to believe? And it was like, yes. And I remember, it was like, whoa, I have everlasting life through belief. Maybe that's your day today. Maybe today is the day that you put your faith in Jesus. You recognize that he left heaven for you, that he took your sin, and that he wants to give you everlasting life. And so you put your faith in him. And what's crazy is in that moment of belief, you receive that everlasting life. You're transformed you become a child of god he writes your name in his book his registry of people who have everlasting life forever it's wild what god does and all you have to do is believe is today the day that you will believe and because i got to tell you if it is god is so excited for you it says that there's a a party in heaven it says the angels celebrate when you put your faith in jesus put your faith in jesus today a lot of people when they do that they they just want to say something to God to seal the deal. You don't have to, but if you do, maybe today's the day where you say, Lord, I believe in Jesus. I want this everlasting life that you have to offer. That's all that it takes is you having this belief. Finally, this is the big idea again. Jesus became a man to show that you can believe him. Okay, so honestly, it's, we need to recognize this as believers. It's a little wild to claim that God left heaven was born a baby in a tiny town named Bethlehem in the first century AD. In, in fact, there are people who go to special uh, institutions who help them with crazy ideas that co- don't correspond to reality, and, and they receive special medications to get them back on the same wavelength with the rest of us. If you don't have faith, being told that God was born as a baby sounds really wild and crazy, but God laid the roadmap out for this because it seemed so crazy. In Isaiah 7:14. There's a prophet named Isaiah, and he says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive. Have a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, what's wild is Isaiah was written centuries before Jesus came to earth, centuries before. So the the U.S. is almost, uh, almost 300 years old now, a little over 280 years old. This prophecy is like twice as old as the U.S. before Jesus hits the earth. So imagine now, it's 2023, 1623, 1523, 1492, Columbus did what? He Sailed the ocean blue. Imagine somebody on Christopher Columbus' ship writes a note and he says, in 2023, a little town called Ocean Park, a guy named Chris is gonna give a message and somebody's gonna believe in, in the message. Who? That'd be wild, wouldn't it? It'd just be crazy. It it sounds like a story. But Isaiah wrote this, and then it came about. Jesus was born. In Luke 2, it says this, and he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, that this promise of the Savior who had come born of a virgin you know the virgin mary she didn't know a man before she had jesus she did after she had jesus but not before she had jesus and and it came about not only this there's more details crazy details like this in micah 5 2 it says bethlehem ephratha you are small among the clans of judah and one will come from you to be the ruler over israel for me his origin is from antiquity from ancient times a baby who is going to be born who eternally existed who existed before the moment of his birth. He's not just an old soul, he's an old God. He existed for before eternity, before he was born, and now he's here. Jeremiah 3.15 says this, this is what the Lord says, a voice was heard in Ramah, a lament, a lament with bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. It says this about Jesus after he was born in Bethlehem. It says, then Herod, when he realized that he had had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah, the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Because they were no more. It's pretty crazy. So Isaiah was written centuries before Jesus. Just after Isaiah, Jeremiah was written. So these two men, they were given words from the Lord to write down for us, for the people who would believe in Jesus, for all the world to know. And they made these specific promises about Jesus' life. And then centuries later, these promises came true. Why did God do that? God did that to give us a roadmap, to give us a foundation, to put our faith in Jesus, so that He knows so that we know that we're not crazy for believing in this idea. He's actually saying, this is what happened this is what's going on this is what i'm promising to do this man who claims to be the messiah he is the messiah this man who claims to be god he is god i told you that it was going to happen in this way it's not an accident it's perfect and clear proof it would be easier for you to win the lotto today than for jesus to do the things that he did according to what was written there are over 300 prophecies about the messiah in the old testament and Jesus fulfilled all of them. The odds of it are staggeringly impossible. Like one in the tens of billions chance, okay? One in the tens of billions chance for this to happen. And yet, yet Jesus fulfilled all of them. He was born in Bethlehem, like it said. Children were massacred where he lived because of the egomaniacal Herod who wanted to eliminate this king. Uh, he was born of a virgin, right? It says, out of. Egypt I have called my son. In this fleeing, Jesus and his family went to Egypt because the angels told him to go there. All of these things are there so that we can know that Jesus is the Messiah, guiding us through the fogginess of unbelief to this place where we can believe, where we can trust. Well, Why does this matter to you? Well, because you and I, we, we get to this place of unbelief. There, there's a man in Mark chapter 9 and and he has a child who is ill. It says that the child is demon-possessed. And, and he says, Jesus, will you heal my son? And, and Jesus says, if you can. He says, everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately, the father of the boy cries out. and He says, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. It says that Jesus helped him in his unbelief. He helped him in this place where he's between perfect belief and unbelief and he healed the son, and he grew this man's faith. You know, Even as a believer, sometimes you might find yourself in a place of doubt. Will God really do what he says? Will it really work if I put all of my understanding on God, if I stop leaning on my ways of doing things and lean into God's way of doing things? Will God really hear me when I pray? Does God really care about the details of my life? Will he really see my children through, or do I have to really control them to make their life work out, right? Like We have all of these temptations to do things our own way, but God says, I will be faithful. The things that I write in my book, I intend to do, and I will do them, and it's important for us to recognize that, that faith in Jesus is not just a later thing, but a right now thing, a reality that we live out moment to moment, where we do things his way, where we submit to him and obey him, because His promises are true and his ways are good and he's leading us in paths of everlasting life. So in those moments of doubt and fear, we can look back at the prophecies about Jesus' birth and we can say just like Jesus came because God said he would, just like that clear line was written through history and demonstrated that Jesus came, God is still that faithful today and I can still trust him today. That's part of why we look at these things over the Christmas season. Jesus became a man to show that you can believe him. Jesus became a man to show that you can believe him. Do you believe him today? Do you trust him today? Do you recognize that he stepped out of history to change your life forever? And are you committed to letting him continue to change your life? Not just when he started, but until that day where you see him face to face. That is a key question of this Advent season for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son to save us. Father, we thank you that he came to earth so that we can believe. Father, I'm thinking of John, where John in in chapter 20, he says that all of these things were recorded about Jesus' life so that you might believe. So Father, we pray that you would increase our faith, that you would expand our belief in Jesus. Lord, there's places in our life where we have started to doubt and backed off from the idea that you can touch them, you can transform them, that you're willing to work. And so our faith has decreased, Father. Will you expand our faith? Will you increase our trust in you? Father, will you help us to be people who bear the testimony of trust in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the stories that we tell? Lord, your word testifies about you. You also say that our lives testify about you. In fact, Father, many people will find us to be the only testimony of Jesus that they ever encounter. And so, Father, help us to live that life of faith in Jesus so that others might see Jesus through our lives. Father, I pray for those who are hearing this who who don't have faith yet or who are still exploring this or who are not ready to really believe. And I ask, Father, that in this time that you would reveal yourself to them that they would be open to the demonstration of who you are, Lord, and the salvation that is available in Jesus. Father, we thank you for the celebration of Christmas that is coming up, and we pray that through this season that Jesus would be ever greater in our hearts. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.